So let's look at what the Bible says about how the Holy Spirit reigns in us. And it, it, it may seem simple, but it's not. And the reason that it is not simple is because of us. It's not God's problem. It is our problem that makes his reign and rule in our hearts a challenge. You know, one of the challenges is uh, we know that God wants us to control our tongues. How many of you had any challenge controlling your tongue this week? Just raise your hand. Okay, praise the Lord. We, uh, uh, we are at least willing to admit we have that challenge day in and day out. Controlling the thoughts of our minds. Controlling the actions of our bodies. We have challenges and we've been learning about being filled with the Holy Spirit. If, and I, I should ask you, were you filled with the Holy Spirit this week and you're like, I prayed that that would happen, but there's some indications maybe during the week that I wasn't fully under his control when I yelled at that driver in front of me, right? When I disobeyed my parents, completely lied to them. That wasn't of the Holy Spirit. When I just spent hours worrying, God did not give us a spirit of worry. And so you have all of these things that seem to be saying he's not in control. Well, here's what the Holy Spirit does is he is filling you. And in that filling, remember it is passive. You yield and he has work to do in your heart and in your life. The great news is he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He is at work in you to help you work out your salvation in fear and trembling. The Holy Spirit is committed to bring about Christ-likeness in your life. And how does he do that? Well, here's what he does. He works in our lives on a daily basis to help us learn and enable us to walk by the Spirit rather than by the mind, our own natural minds, and our own flesh. Let me show you a scripture in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul says this, here's the key. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For him to reign in you, it is the act of you walking, not in the flesh, but walking in the Spirit. For the desires of the flesh are going to be fighting against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So we have a challenge in this life. And, and the Holy Spirit has his work cut out for him in our lives. And the reason is this. Let me just give you a little bit of a diagram this morning. Is that when God created us, he created us in a rather unique way. He created us in his image. He created us different from the animals. We have a physical body like the animals, right? That relates to the world. And we call that the, the body. And then we have a second layer. And we call that layer the soul. And then we have... At the very center of our being, we have what? A spirit. Now, where did I get this from? Well, let me show you. Look at this text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In 
so all of those folks that are running my slides, I'm jumping around a little bit more, so I apologize. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, listen to what the Apostle Paul prays for you and prays for me. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you how? Completely. What does that mean completely? And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I truly believe that the apostle put it in an order that we normally don't put it in. We say body, soul, and spirit a lot of times, but he says, no, that's not how it operates. That's not how it operates. Here's how it operates. God is spirit. And he relates and communes with us in our spirit. So this is spirit with a small s. This is you and me. He relates to our spirit. We commune with God in our spirit. And then our spirit is designed to subordinate and control our soul and our body. Now, what is our soul? Let me me just tell you what happened and then it'll help you understand. Now, if you remember our teaching on Ephesians chapter 2... He began to Ephesians chapter two and he said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made us alive in Christ. Now, obviously he's not talking about our flesh is dead. Now our flesh is dying and we're going to die. And he's not talking about the fact that you don't have a soul because a soul is that which God imparts to every human being. Every human being has a soul. The soul is really who you are. It's your personality, your temperament. It is connected to your mind and uh, how that operates. And you just, you know it because you've met human beings. Every human being is just unique. There is that part of you that is alive that is not your body. And that is a soul. And every single human being has that. And did you know you can be a person, have a soul and have a body, but your spirit be what? Dead. Because here's what happened. Adam and Eve, they're going along and they're complete. They're in the Garden of Eden. They're having a good time. They're they're relating with God face to face in a spiritual. They're in their spirit perfectly communing with God. No sin, no barrier. Their flesh hasn't been corrupted. There's no decay, no sin. Their soul and their mind is operating completely clean, completely uncorrupted. And uh, can you imagine how great... They must have been able to think and feel. All of their soul was perfect. All of their flesh was perfect. And then they chose to sin. And when they sinned, they died. But what part of them died? Well, their soul, their spirit died. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. But their soul and their body were mortally wounded and corrupted by sin. And they were cast out of the garden and eventually they died. Eventually they died. And the soul, the soul. Now, what happens to someone who is lost, who never receives Christ? You see, what happens when you receive Christ, you are born again. And you might ask the question that Nicodemus asked, well, how can a man be born of, a, of his mama again? Does he go back in the womb? How does all of this work again? 
No, no, no. You're born of the what? Of the spirit. You are given a spirit now in you that is not dead. You're given a new spirit that is alive. Remember the apostle Paul said earlier in the book of Ephesians, put on this new man. You have a new man, a new woman. You are made new with Christ. But here's the problem. Here's why Paul has to write what he does in Galatians. Walk by the Spirit. Walk under the control of the Spirit. Because if you can walk in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit connected to your Spirit, if you can walk under that control, you will not do the deeds. You will not do what your broken soul and your broken body that are still corrupted and still challenged by all of its weaknesses and all of its brokenness, you will not do that. And so he gives you the capability when the spirit of God lives in and is able to uh, break through your soul and break through the scarred areas of your, of your life and break through the hardened areas of sin in your life. And, and his spirit uses your spirit to, to, uh, to, to take control of your life. Then all of a sudden... You have the fruit of the Spirit. All of a sudden, your language changes. All of a sudden, the way you think changes. All of a sudden, you're able to be patient and long-suffering in ways that you weren't. All of a sudden, you you have the capability of having unconditional agape-type love. And it is because the Holy Spirit has, has broken through the natural selfishness of your soul and self-centeredness of your soul and has broken through the, the, the desires of the flesh that cause you to shut down your spirit and shut down the Holy Spirit and you just say, me, 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 me. He breaks through that and all of a sudden, the fruit of the Spirit is in your life. Now, how does this happen? How does he do this? Because what kind of what kind of husband does my wife want? A spirit-controlled husband, right? What kind of employee does your boss want? Well, he may not know he wants this, or she may not want a Holy Spirit-controlled person. What kind of church member should you be? A spirit control, soul, mind, and body. Being sanctified, according to this verse, completely by the Holy Spirit, mind, soul, or soul, spirit, and body. How does he do that? Let me give you just a couple of things. Let's look at the Holy Spirit's tools. You've seen his task. His task is one of transformation from the inside out. Any of you watch some of these shows, they become ridiculously uh, popular. They're, they're all over. Everywhere you go, you find a show that is about people buying homes and renovating them, right? And I mean, there's all, I'm so confused. I don't know which one is which, but anyway, they're, they're kind of fascinating. They're all scripted, you know, but uh, the one I kind of like, uh, I saw the other day is flip or flop, right? And this, this couple goes out and they buy a lot of homes at auction, sometimes unseen. I mean, it's a total gamble. And then part of the fun part of the show is when they, they break their way, finally get through the door and then they discover what they bought. 
And then the task of the show and the task of this couple is to somehow flip this house so that it becomes something of value, something beautiful, something that someone wants. Uh, but, or maybe they go in and they realize it's just going to be too much and it's going to flop and we're going to lose. Now, here's the deal. Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Paul the Apostle says. You, you are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians, he says, you are not your own. You have been, what? Bought with a price. And he bought you, he purchased you through the blood of Christ. And when he walked into your life, what did he see? What did he see? You say, well, he couldn't have purchased me. I'm way, I need way too much renovation. (laughs) I'm way too much of a flop. There's no way he bought me. No, he did. The Holy Spirit is committed to taking you in whatever stage you are. A lot of these homes and a lot of your hearts maybe have, have really, you've just had some tough times over life. And you've got a lot of damage in your heart and in your home, damage to your personality. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you were teased mercilessly. Maybe you were not loved by your parents the way you should have. Maybe you've experienced control. Even in a church, I've run into folks all the time that have been wounded in church. and, And so the Holy Spirit goes into a home that's got scar tissue built up has wounds built up. Maybe you have delved into areas of of sin and they've become secret hiding places in your home and, and, and you've got it guarded and barred and gated because that is just one thing. It is just precious to you. And in a sense... What God gets is that when he comes into your home is that little green gremlin-y thing off of Lord of the Rings. What was his name? All I can hear him say is he just wanted that gold ring and he said, precious. It's precious. And you, you saw that over the years and some of you don't know what I'm talking about but trust me, this... This human turns into a monster because he just couldn't let go of what was most precious to him. And you become hardened. There's secret sins and there's things and and there's scar tissue and there's hard areas. And what the Holy Spirit is going to do is the Holy Spirit is committed to breaking through those areas in your life. Now, do you imagine that is going to be painless? See, I think a lot of times we say, fill me with the Holy Spirit. I want all that fun. I want all that peace. I want all that joy. Just fill me, take me. It's just, just do that. And he says, you know, I have filled you and I'm controlling you, but here's, I'm committed to a transformation, renovation process in your temple, in your home. And sometimes that's going to require some work 
Now, what are the tools that the Holy Spirit will use in his renovation plan for your soul and your body? Now, the Spirit doesn't need renovation. Your Spirit has been born again. Your Spirit is new. Your Spirit is where God communes and dwells with you. It is your soul, your temperament, your mind, your reasoning capacity, all of these things that the Holy Spirit needs to renovate and transform so that you can begin to be a flip and not a flop, right? So that you can begin to be of great value to the kingdom of God and so that you uh, uh, can experience the fullness of his control, the fullness of God in your life. Fortunately, I've reached that point in my life. I'm just kidding. When do we reach that complete sanctification? I really believe it is a lifelong process that there that is the Holy Spirit's work because here's the deal. He can break through and and bring cleansing and healing and breakthrough in different areas of your life and our flesh and our our broken souls tend to maybe stir up another area and i've discovered this over my brief life that uh uh, you get control in one area and then you hit another age and all of a sudden you just discover i never struggled with greed now all of a sudden i'm struggling with greed Or I never struggled with lust, now I'm struggling with lust. Or we never struggled with worry, and now that I've got five kids going to college, I'm struggling with worry. And so the Holy Spirit is often working and doing his surgery in my life. Because he's battling, and I'm battling for my spirit, my spirit, with God's spirit, renovating my life for his glory. So how does he do it? The first tool that I think is very clear is the word of God. Look at Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper and than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision, to the division of what? Of soul and of spirit. Of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We can't really even clearly discern the intentions and thoughts of our own heart. Is it easy to to get the marrow out of a bone? Can you imagine where where does my soul stop and my spirit start? You see, we are are, uh, intertwined. We are really one person with, with the spiritual element, the soulish life element, and the body. And for, 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 for God to break down some of those hardened areas in our life, he's got to do surgery. And the tool, his primary tool of doing surgery 
to help free you from the scar tissue of your soul and your body and the scar tissue that builds up from your, 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 your growing up and from the sin you put in your life. The, scar, the way he does that, the primary tool is the word of God. You know why I know it's the primary tool? It has been the primary tool in my life. And I also know because people like to avoid the sharpness of the word of God. They try to dull the edge. Why? Because it pierces. And I, I, don't, I don't understand why people don't run to really want to know what the word of God says. And I think it's because when it starts getting air near the tender spots or you start tampering with the hardened spot that I have continued to put calluses over because I want to keep that, people back off. I would rather go hear a preacher that just tells me how great I am, how I don't have any problems, and I just need to think positively. Can I just tell you there that I believe in positive thinking? I think you should think positively. But positive thinking, the problem with it is it can be a counseling technique, and counseling is good. Counseling can help reprogram your mind. It can help reprogram you, but it can't transform you. Positive thinking can help you maybe think a little better, but you're not any different. It's got to be spiritually driven change. And the word of God is his spiritual work in our hearts. It pierces and helps break through the scar tissue between the soul and the spirit. So the spirit, uh, you can walk in the spirit rather than a, a life dominated by your broken soul and your broken flesh. And so he, he cuts through. I go to the hospital uh, and a lot and have for many years and I've seen a lot of bad stuff in hospitals but the most tragic thing one of the most tragic things I've ever seen I saw last year I went to visit over in Chan's a burn victim and this burn victim I didn't even know he wasn't conscious his family was out of town they just called and said would you please go pray for him and so I went into his room and he was completely bandaged from head to foot wrapped up his fingers and his face were all I could see and they were burned and here's what I know about burn victims. And I called one of our uh, medical professionals here at church to make sure I didn't say something wrong. And uh, uh, so just to back up, but here's what I know that they do that's very, very painful. Is they don't allow it just to heal on its own. Because of the depth of the burn, if it's a third degree burn, it destroys that flesh. And that flesh will grow bacteria. And if you don't get that flesh off... It will kill the patient. And so one of the techniques is that medical professional has, and I don't know all the details, but it just makes me kind of cringe to think about that they have a way to remove that necrotic, dying, decaying, bacteria-filled flesh. And they do that so that the body can heal from the inside out. Remove the old. And if, and if they don't remove it and it doesn't kill them, it turns into what? Scars. Scar tissue. 
And sometimes it's so deep that they just have to remove that and put skin transplants on it and, and other things. And I know I'm not using all the terminology, but the picture is, is that the Holy Spirit is like that doctor. The Holy Spirit knows that there are areas of your life that it, it has to surgically remove with the Word of God. If you will sit, if you will allow, and sometimes it takes time for me to truly understand and you to truly understand and for him to work through that. And why, and do you think that's a pleasant experience? I asked him, I said, what determines how much you do? He said, well, the extent and depth of the burns and the tolerance of the patient. And you know, the Bible says that he doesn't put us through tests and trials beyond what we can handle. And so the Holy Spirit is going to break through the scar tissue and the dying stuff that you've allowed into your life or has developed over your life and the, and the dead thinking and the bad thinking. I've kind of been a student of this even in myself over my life and I have patterns of thoughts that I can trace back to childhood wounds. Do you? I had great parents and they're here, they're awesome parents, but I think any child receives wounds going to school. You know? You've got your bullies, you've got teasing, you've got all sorts of things. Can you imagine? Even way back when I went to school, they had that. And I can, I can trace some of the patterns of my thinking that will, will pop up even in my mind and I realize that's dead, stinking thinking. And even at this age, some of that dead, stinking thinking, like, these people think I'm ugly. These people don't think I'm very cool. I got to please these people because I'm a pastor's son. Can develop into scars and twisted thinking. And when it pops up into my head, what do I have to do? I have to have my mind and my heart equipped with the word of God to just scrape that off. Take that captive. Get rid of that. If I keep doing that, it's going to make a scar, bacteria, and infection can set in, and I can become a flop. Y'all see how it works? Now, now there's two other tools. <clears throat> two other tools. Now, don't pretend I'm the only one that gets stinking thinking. All of us. All of us. Two other tools. The second tool is his discipline. His discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, let me just kind of read through it. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. 
So we gotta lay aside the weight and the sin which clings so closely. How do we do that? The Holy Spirit helps us do that. In our spirit, we've gotta get rid of some of that weight so we can run with endurance. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at verse five. And you have, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 10. For they, our parents, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good. Why? So that we may what? Share his holiness. The Holy Spirit is committed to break through in your life so that you can begin to experience that spirit-filled walk in your life, and it is a process uh, as well as beginning in a moment. And is it pleasant? Look at verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So discipline comes into our life in different forms. I mean, even the preaching of the word of God is sort of a form of discipline as we listen to it and as we allow it to pierce. Sometimes the discipline, if you continue in an area of sin, you get caught. God allows you to get caught. You do prison time. Or you get fired from your job. Or you make an F in the class. Don't complain to God. Let God use that. Maybe the discipline is a brother or sister in Christ just sits you down and says, you know, I just have to reprove you for something. I love you. Here is what I see in your life or here's what you've done to hurt others and I just have to tell you and you're just like, oh, that was uncomfortable. That hurt, but that was from God. And so discipline. Count it all joy, James says, when you meet trials of various kinds. James 1, 2. Count it all joy when you face trials for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So God uses his word and God uses discipline and trials that come into our life. And so we count it joy because we know those trials are breaking down some of the hard areas of our body and soul. So that our spirit, our spirit, we can walk in it. We can walk in the freedom of the Holy Spirit. You know, he saw that in the life of Jesus, didn't we? At his baptism, we see the Spirit come down. And it said, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. That's another sermon. I can talk to you about that. But full of the Holy Spirit, what did he do? The Spirit drove Jesus immediately to a time of testing. And what did he test? He tested his flesh he tested his flesh. He was hungry for 40 days and 40 nights. He tested his soul. 
He, he challenged, the, the devil came and challenged his pride, challenged his ego, challenged all of those, the self-centeredness that could have crept in. And Jesus passed with flying colors. By the way, what tool did he use to defend himself? The word of God. He cut those thoughts with the word of God. And so God will use trials, the discipline, and then God will also use people. People. He will bring people into your life. And we as Americans struggle with this because here's what we do with people we don't like. We just just move on. We go into a church and people just, if someone rums me the wrong way, I'm leaving. We get married, three or four years into it, you're like, meh, she's rubbing me the wrong way. I don't really like her. She wants to change me. And I couldn't possibly need any changing. She's the one that needs changing. You see the hardness of that? So what do we as Americans do? We trade up, trade in, divorce. So we get rid of God's people. You know what we're going to discover as we move into chapter 6 and chapter 5 is that God uses our spouses as an instrument of sanctification. Don't get rid of them. I realize I don't... when, when God gave me my wife as a helpmeet, you know, it wasn't for her to help me do laundry. It wasn't for her to help me cook dinner. That's not how she helps me. It is, I needed another soul filled with the Holy Spirit to help me become who God wants me to be. And so she is an instrument of sanctification in my life. And guess what I am for her as well. And sometimes that's painful. Don't get rid of God's people. They're there for a reason. Would you pray with me just for a moment? Here's what I'd like for you to do. If you would just bow your heads. For a moment. Somewhere, maybe in your life, your spiritual walk, you decided, I've gone far enough. I'm shutting the door. I'm closing up. I'm going to just, I'm going to harden over where I'm at spiritually. And the Holy Spirit has no more control of your life than he did 20 years ago. Maybe he's got less. What you need to pray for this morning and ask the Holy Spirit to do is to break through that hardness. Maybe it's a habit you've been hiding and you hide it. Maybe it's worry that dominates your mind, fear and anxiety. Can I just tell you, everybody in this room faces anxiety. Everybody in this room faces worry. I face it every day. But the key to victory is not just hardening that over and hiding it. The key is just 
Every day, allow the Holy Spirit to come in with his word and remind you, don't be anxious in anything. But with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Let the word speak to that anger. Don't harden it. Speak to that worry. Don't harden over. Some of you have just absolutely built a shield between you and your mate. You've just, you've just said, we can't, we can't fix this. I'm going to harden it over. We're just going to be roommates for the rest of our life. Just going to deal with it. The Holy Spirit. It may be painful, but he can break through that if you'll let him. And my friend, listen, don't wait till it gets to the point where he brings his discipline into your life to uncover that sin and confess that sin and get it out of your life. Don't wait. And don't avoid God's people. There are people right here in this room that can help you deal with that struggle. But you've got to be willing to let us see it and love you through it.